0: Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring back the incredible Dr. Boz. That is...
1: Part that gets the funny looking faces, like the ozempic face, what's that all about? Uh, it is that they are losing a ton of weight. And when people say, Doc, I want that drug because I want to lose weight. Like, okay, what kind of weight do you want to lose? And of course they're going to say, well, the fat, of course. And the fat is very much under the dictatorship of insulin. And when you look at the body scans for people on Ozempic or these GLP-1 analogs, the ratio of anybody losing as much weight as they've lost, they're going to lose fat and protein. That's normal. But it is an incredible uh, shift of how much muscle mass, how much protein loss they are doing relative to the fat loss. And it is simply because they are constantly stimulating the production of insulin.
0: We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations Hey, Keto Camper. Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Thank you for pressing play on today's episode. Whether you are returning or brand new, welcome. I am so grateful to have you here. We welcome back Dr. Boz, who has been on the show twice before. This is her third time making a three-peat. We're going to take a deep dive into A1C. Testing your hemoglobin A1C. What exactly does it mean? What are the optimal ranges? what is the role of the red blood cells? She's going to geek out with you. And she has some incredible presentation slides. I understand this is the audio podcast, but if you want to watch her, I think the best presentation slides I've seen, like she puts some incredible resources into her slides. Go watch the YouTube, the video version of today's interview on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash KetoCamp. But she's going to explain it in a way where you don't have to watch it. So she's going to explain all about red blood cells, heme and globin. And cholesterol, protein, iron, what that does, the major function, how it carries hemoglobin throughout the body, and the whole metabolic process, and what happens when you have higher levels of glucose and insulin, and how this really creates a rusting of your cells, of your arterial lining, creating inflammation, creating diabetes, insulin resistance, etc. She's going to explain how to test, what are the optimal ranges, easy way to test at home as well, and blood donation what that can do to potentially lower hematocrit levels and to lower hemoglobin, potentially lower ferritin levels, but it's a short-term solution she'll share, not for a long-term problem. We'll talk about the Dawn effect, higher blood sugar readings in the morning. What does it mean? What can you do? We'll talk about sardines and sardine fasting. Ah, Sounds disgusting, but I'm telling you, it is a powerful healing tool. There's a Q&A at the end as well. We'll talk about ways to practice fasting, why she loves fasting, why she loves keto, and her backstory as well, and so much more. I am excited to bring her on the show. Before I do, I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day from Jobo3, titled Top Notch Guy, Five Star Review. I love everything that Ben represents. He wants everyone to be the best they can be. He interviews interesting people and gives such great health advice. I've been learning so much about my body from following Ben. His approach is straightforward and right to the point. No fluff. I'm so grateful I found KetoCamp. It's changing my life for the better. Jobo, I am so excited that you're listening and changing your life for the better. Thank you. You're right. No fluff. We take a deep dive and we have life-changing conversations. I can't believe we're um, just so many episodes in. It's It's incredible. It's been a fun ride. So thank you for listening. Thank you for pressing play. Thank you for leaving the rating and review. Hey, if you have not left the KetoCamp podcast a rating and review yet, please do so on whatever platform you're listening from today. It makes a huge difference. Without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Boz. Let's introduce her and let's bring her on because we want to maximize the time with Dr. Boz. I love this photo of us. So we got to take some more photos, Dr. Boz, but this is the one that I have in my phone. And it was from Orlando, Keto Orlando Summit last year, where I was uh, able to finally watch Dr. Baz in person, speak on stage. She delivered such an incredible lecture and I was honored to share the stage with her. We got to hang out a little bit. That's where our relationship really started. And I'm grateful for that weekend. We've become closer ever since then. And Dr. Baz is incredible. She's an internal medicine doctor. She's an author. She's a mother. She's a wife. She's the teacher. She's an a, incredible storyteller. Uh, she lives in Florida, but she's from uh, South Dakota. And she has written these books here, which I w- encourage you to go purchase if you haven't done so already. Alina's going to drop a link for you to get it any way you can in the Keto Continuing Workbook. She has incredible courses and products and all that good stuff, which we'll talk about. So without further ado, Let me see, Dr. Boz, I saw you walked away from your chair, so let me make, okay, okay. Without further ado, let me bring on Dr. Boz. Hey, Dr. Boz.
1: Hello, hello. I am happy to be with you today, actually, in sunny South, uh, not in South Dakota, in sunny (laughs) Florida, (laughs) Florida. Uh, a place that I am, I'm really thankful to call home now. It's almost been 18 months and I can't believe how much easier it is to get my relatives to visit me when I live here. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, they're more likely to come to Florida than they are to, co- to go to North Dakota, especially <clears throat> weather-wise uh, and, and things, things to do. Have you been getting a lot of rain there? We've been getting a ton of rain this week.
1: You know, if it's a little rain, I think it's welcome. I I noticed it as just, a, I don't know, 50 years of watching the weather in South Dakota when things in Florida happen. I just think, yeah, that's nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there you go. That's perspective <clears throat> for you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for coming back. Just just to recap uh, for you, Dr. Boss, we're on session four. Uh, Session one, we took a deep dive into the history of ketosis and why we view it more of a metabolic process. I know you do as well versus a fad diet. We talked a little bit about mitochondrial uncoupling. We'll get into that a little bit later with you because I know you love to talk about that. And then uh, Dr. Fung yesterday made the case for why high insulin and glucose levels are leading to insulin resistance and diabetes. But we didn't really get into A1C testing and specifically, what high glucose levels do to create these advanced glycation end products? So I'd love for you to just dive deep into that, so we have a full understanding. Your slides are the best. <laughs> if you've never seen Dr. Baz's slides, get prepared. She puts like these are incredible slides. So if you want to start sharing them now, let's do it.
1: Sure, that's great. So here's the other thing: is that if I get to talking and you think that it's. A- it's beyond what your audience would want to know. You just need to stop me because the hardest part about these, I, I know you, I know what you would want. And I'm going to go until you say, all right, you're tapping out. Let's uh, let's take questions. So help me <laughs> with that, okay?
0: <laughs> I will, I will. In the audience, we have about uh, 330 people live right now. They they want to hear what you got. So go ahead, let's, let's do it. <laughs>
1: okay, all right, all right, I see all right.
0: The I'm going to pull them up. Here we go. Okay, I okay, see perfect. disclosures.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, uh, this is, uh, these are the uh, um, parts where I can't remember if this is a medical CME. So if it is, you always got to start with, you know what? I, I take care of patients. I make money when I do that. I sell some products. I make money when I do that. And I sell some books. This was the first book I wrote that had everything to do with when my. Medical career, which had been, you know, 15 years in internal medicine, the the kind of deepest dive of medicine. Very curious doctors trying to figure it out, and I had this patient who was quite stubborn, uh, 71 years old, but a, a rather perfect patient in that she was doing exactly what I told her to do, but her metabolism. Was awful. It was terrible. She had thyroid problems and she was 50 pounds overweight and her brain was foggy and her immune system sucked. And her care had been, well, had been perfect because I was giving her care, yeah. <laughs> but her health wasn't perfect. Uh, you know, we followed all the rules, but she still was very sick. And when this book was being written, it was after she had come to me at 71 years old saying, she wasn't feeling good again. She looked ashen. uh, And as much as that wasn't that striking to me because of the years prior, when we got the lab test back, we saw that her cancer was in full force. She had six months to live if we did nothing. Mm. And she said, no, I refuse. Uh, The last time you did this chemotherapy stuff to me and all of your medical crap, she said, I am a seamstress and I didn't know what a sewing machine was for six months. Wow. So, no. And unfortunately, I tried to beg and plead and and she, she caved a little bit because she said, well, if it was you, what would you do? And I think it's when I have been asked that question a lot in my career. Sometimes I, I fake it like, okay, here's what the medical books say to do. But the person asking me that question was my mother. Mm. And I answered that question. Honestly, I said, I would scrap everything you're doing, do an advanced ketogenic diet for six weeks and see what the blood tests show. And that's the first chapter of that book. I lost a bet with my husband because he kept saying, you should write a book. (laughs) You should write a book. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to write a book. And if you've been married as long as I have, (laughs) as soon as your husband tells you to do it.
0: (laughs) It's time. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, so I lost the bet. I wrote the book. I self-published it. I thought 12 people would read it. And it was incredible, actually, because what happened was people wanted what I gave to her. They wanted that care in their care. Yeah. And the book tells what I did. It was very vulnerable in all the things I didn't know and how it, I, I couldn't believe. I didn't know how the ketogenic state worked. How how could I have missed this? Uh, very arrogant statement of me, I know. Uh, <laughs> Um, and one day I'm, uh, that little boy on the front is my now 16 year old about to be 17, but he was in middle school. We were living in South Dakota and it was February. I was in the carpool line to pick him up from school. And this woman shoves this book into my passenger seat window, cricks her head around the, to the w- windshield and says, did you write this book? Oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh it's a small state. I'm sure I know her. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell her, well, get in. It's it's 20 below zero. out. So get in my car. And this huge Brazilian woman in girth, in size, in voice, in personality says, I just got out of the hospital. I am trying to be your patient because of what they did to me in the hospital. And she's shaking the book at me. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. Uh, She goes, do you know what they fed me in the hospital? I was there for them to cut out my colon. It had cancer. I'm like, well, what did they feed you in the hospital? Pudding. Mm. They fed me pudding. (laughs) She's still screaming at me. She's like, I need to be your patient. And every South Dakota nice cell in my whole body said, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) My staff would kill me. We were so overrun with patients who wanted in for this same reason my mom wanted in which
2: yeah. was
1: good care and not just what the textbook was saying but back up all of your recommendations aren't working and I told her I know I know your doctors they are good doctors you do not need to see me to be to do a ketogenic diet just read the book and if you ever met a Brazilian mother
0: <laughs> <laughs> my, my fiance's mom uh, my mother-in-law essentially uh, she's Brazilian so yeah I get it. <laughs>
1: It's a syndrome. I've (laughs) met a few of them now and they are all the same. She was so determined to win. And she's like, well, if you're not going to have me as your patient, then you need to teach keto and I'm going to be your first student. Wow. And honestly, that really hit home because that felt right. Uh, I kept saying, you know, you can come see me and we can try to bill your insurance, but nobody will pay me to teach you this. You don't need me to teach you this. Your insurance company doesn't want to pay me for this. And I don't want to waste my time and my staff's time trying to collect from your insurance because it's like banging your head up against the wall. But a class on it was perfect. And so I said, all right. So there was a vacant (laughs) space in the building where I saw patients and it was you know, South Dakota cold in February, no heat. (laughs) There was a bunch of folding chairs and we started the first support group. And that is where uh, David showed up. And essentially, the uh, first few meetings in that room were with the Brazilian mama and David, who is the focus of Keto Continuum, a story who's a very, very common story. He was a man running his own company, hadn't seen a doctor in over 15 years. Recently, his wife had been sick and he realized that he didn't want her to have to take care of him as he aged. And he was like 64 years old. And He was a statistic waiting to happen because he was 70 pounds overweight, he was shorter than I was, and one of his labs was very out of whack, and he didn't even know what it was. But he was American, so he was at this risk of having either heart disease, cancer, COVID-19, stroke, respiratory, Alzheimer's, diabetes, influenza, kidney disease. Those are the things that uh, are the top 10 killers of Americans today and all of the ones in red are predicted by this one test that he didn't know anything about. So it's my goal here to teach you about this test. Yes. And if we're going to do that, we're going to start by looking at your red blood cells. Because mm-hmm. David's red blood cells had an abnormality that he knew nothing about. But deep within those red blood cells, these little, these red blood cells are, they're disc shape. I don't know if you can see the indent there in the middle. Yes. And they have no mitochondria. They have no nucleus. They only have one major job. And that is they mix a whole bunch of cholesterol and fat and iron and protein. And then they wind them all together. And we call this a globin. And then we add those yellow things are heme. And then we add some iron. So now we have globin heme plus iron. And that's called hemoglobin. And their job is to carry oxygen around. Those little spots are to pull in the oxygen and deliver it throughout your body. And it's quite the roller coaster ride when you hop inside these red blood cells strapped to a hemoglobin, and you remember that you're supposed to get off the ship where the tissues are because that's how the oxygen gets to the tissues.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think it's, um, you know, one of those, one of my favorite shows as a kid was, or maybe it's what my kids watched was Mm -hmm. Mrs. Frizzle's uh, Magic School Bus. Do you remember that?
0: I I don't, but I I remember you mentioned it last time and so many people were like, oh yeah, I remember that. So yeah, I guess it's a popular show.
1: (laughs) Oh, she's a crazy little lady on a cartoon show that taught things by like imagining on a school bus. And so we're going to do that. We're going to hop inside your alveoli, inside your lungs where really important things happen. And specifically as the uh, air comes in, when you breathe, that's your oxygen, right? And then in this special part of your body, the trading of the waste from your system, which is the carbon dioxide, it goes out, and then that's how you breathe it out with some water. And then, of course, you breathe in the oxygen. And those oxygen molecules, if you didn't have hemoglobin, then you would have really good oxygen <laughs> right there at those pink cells, because that's all the further they'd get. If you didn't hop onto those red blood cells and strap into those, iron spots, you would not be able to deliver that to the place in your body that needs it. Mm. And as we look at the diseases that live without oxygen, it's those ones in red. Mm. So what we can predict in our patients over the next few years is we can predict that because yes, your oxygen wants to get to this little spot, but it has an enemy. And the enemy uh, is this mystery molecule that can go right through the skin of that red blood cell, and it can go in and out, uh, unlike what it does in every other cell in our body? That mystery molecule has to have a a receptor. It has to lift across the membrane, be transported into the cell, and it waits for the dictation of a specific hormone before it allows you to do that. Without it, it would stay only in the circulation of your blood. And this mystery molecule is, of course, your sugar or your yeah. glucose. So that's what blood cells do, is they let sugar go in and out. It's not dependent on any kind of enzyme. It's uh, really concentration dependent. So the same concentration in your blood is the same concentration in your inside that red blood cell. And when we see the mistake that happens, when it gets close to that magnetic iron part, it just sucks it in. It's a magnetic mistake. It just splats into that spot on the hemoglobin and now that red blood cell or this spot on the red blood cell can only carry 3 oxygen instead of 2. Hmm. So we call it when that gets stuck like that glycation because it's it's like gum it sticks there it's not you can't get it off with a crowbar it is stuck until that red blood cell dies and recycles and then we can start over. When we glycate red blood cells this is what happens but When patients have a crick in their neck or they have ringing in their ears, there's glycation of those parts of their body too, that Alzheimer's has a process of glycation, too much blood sugar in your brain. And when the oxygens are less delivered to the cells, it's like a suffocation of the cells that don't get enough oxygen. And they get hard and rubbery and they get down to like one mitochondria before they finally die off. And that's how these chronic diseases happen in the state of our human uh, aging process when the blood sugars are too high, is they get splat. So the real question that we're going to talk about is, do you know, and for sure David did not know, mm-hmm. how glycated his hemoglobin was? So when we look at that blood test, the glycation of your hemoglobin, as you can see the red letters in that, that little uh, that sign up there is to give you the hint that this is a glycated hemoglobin A1c. Now, the A1c happens to be the spot (laughs) where the sugar binds. Nobody really cares, but that's where the letters come from. Interesting, if nothing else. So, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay, (laughs) why why did we call it this? (laughs) And what's even more kind of, well, not It's just like, it's a math process. And so sometimes I don't think people understand the math. Uh, So there's 100 parking spots for oxygen in that picture right there. And if you have, we we measure A1Cs in percentages. So if 4% of those parking spots are splat, well, then that makes 4% of them glycated. So that's a hemoglobin A1C of four. So do you remember from last time? I don't know if, if I did this exact slide deck last time, but do you remember what the A1C what the average blood sugar is for a four?
0: Uh, it's going to be, I think it was 70. Uh, so no,
1: it's exact, Almost 68, very 68.
0: good. That's really good. 60, yeah. 68 milligrams per deciliters.
1: <laughs> yes, so that's the American measurement. And if you say, well, what does that really mean? It's. I mean, again, it's more math. So you just got to draw it out sometimes to help people think about it. In a month, most of the blood sugars are between 50 and 80. But some blood sugars get down to 45. And some of them almost reach 90. So if you say, well, who can do that? It, that's really like a child. <laughs> in fact, we, <laughs> we did some mission work in the last week, year with my son and, you know, a, 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 a children's home here in Tampa. And we met a little boy named Willie. And so when I have more time, I go through Willie's story of having his blood sugar was an A1C at like 4.2 mm. because he had minimal resources. He ate three really small meals per day. But hot dang, his hemoglobin A1C was normal because there were times, I mean, his average blood sugar was 60, you know, 68, if if that, 70. So when we take the, and we splat one more, we go up to five. you want to take a guess?
0: Uh, that's going to be close to 100.
1: You're so good. Very good. Yep. So it's about 100. And then when we go up to six, we add another one in there. We don't just move one. We add one. There you go. And that gets you up to the diagnosis of diabetes, which is a... Um, an average blood, I know they say 6.5, but a fasting blood sugar of 126 is where we get the diagnosis of diabetes. diabetes. Yep. And it's in this case where our 40-year-old David, who he's now 65 in front of me, but when he was 40, there were already problems. And he didn't know it. Well, he kind of did. He was trying to lose weight and he couldn't lose weight. But when he would wake up in the morning, his average blood sugars weren't anywhere close to what Willie's would have been. He woke up in the morning and his I mean, before he even woke up, it was in the 90s, but his cortisol shot his blood sugar up to over 100. And then he was very disciplined and only had three meals per day, which started, you know, first after he got up and then around noon and then after he got home from work. So he says, I don't eat that late at night. I have supper and then I quit. And you look at that eating window, it's still 13 hours long um, and he thinks he's being good. But over time, his blood sugars have risen up to that 126. And his morning fasting one isn't uh, 126 yet, but it is well on its way. And when you uh, look at how much the red line represents how often and how much he's burning carbohydrates, when we look at fixing metabolisms, you're very good at this, but maybe the folks watching are kind of new to this, that we want you to be burning ketones. And Willie will burn ketones every time his glucose runs out. So he burns it during the day in between meals. He burns it for several hours at night. And whenever he gets to playing in the mud and uses some energy, he'll burn some more ketones. That kid has a very flexible metabolism. But at the age of 40, David did not. He didn't have any signs of it, but he didn't have any reason to use anything but glucose because of the way he ate. And so if you study, well, what's really going on over the time where he's a couple of days is there's essentially a huge block of glucose that he burns, and then maybe a little bit of burp in the middle of the night of ketones, but not nearly enough to be reversing disease processes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So by the time he's 55, uh, the numbers have all changed. His blood sugars are worse; they are higher in the morning, uh, they are higher after he eats, and his uh, you know average blood sugar is now closer to seven instead of six. And that means his um, blood sugar is 154, and when it's eight, it's 183. He, he didn't get that high, but but patients do that, and they get you know nine, it's up into the 200s, and then ten, it's you know almost to 250, 240, and 11, you're close to uh, you know 270. I mean, and you you wonder why A1Cs of 13 are so highly associated with death. That's not hard to imagine. Uh, when what, you say what's that.
0: the um What's the highest A1C that you've seen, and have you heard of a uh, higher A1C than that? Like, what's the highest one?
1: So I had a type one diabetic um, who was up to sixteen. Wow. Yeah. There was an amputation shortly after that.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that ri- close risk of a diabetic coma any any moment now. They could go into diabetic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, you think of diabetic coma of how swollen it is, so it has to change very quickly. Unfortunately, they just crept up there nice and slowly, so
2: Mm, the swelling
1: was adapted to.
2: Yeah, Um, makes sense.
1: So I do like to make sure that anybody else who uses the millimoles, that's not an American. So that 3.9 is the percentage, but the milligrams per deciliter, that's the American units. And then the rest of the world uses millimoles, (laughs) Per liter, so I'll just I I'll scroll through this to kind of give you a look at what it ranges to. Like people say, "Well, what's my number? What should it be? How how hard do I have to work to get it down?" And the translation is, "Well, it's your average red blood cells." And I know that people have some goofy videos out there, like if you donate blood, your A one C goes down, but <laughs> that does not improve your risk of chronic disease. That uh, it really is an important process.
0: So if you donate blood, your A1C goes down, but it doesn't reduce your risk. But does that A1C go back? Is that just a short-term thing that it goes down, then it goes back up? Because they're not not changing anything. I imagine it's going to go right back.
1: So yeah, if you donate blood today, it's going to decrease your hemoglobin or your hematocrit quickly, right? Right. And that will signal your bone marrow to put out red blood cells, even if they weren't quite ripe. And so you have an infusion of a whole bunch of new red blood cells within about a week of that blood donation. And it works out really well if you want to check your A1C then for your insurance, but it does not predict the dementia and the problems. Because when I look at the number of things that the average blood sugar, which is what A1C is looking at, average blood sugar matters most because it does predict disease severity. And it's not just in the elders that we have this list of illnesses is in babies and children and teenagers, and when you look across our population and say, "Well, wait a minute, I have ADHD, or I have, I've had panic attacks, or I don't sleep so well, my menstrual cycle is messed up, I have inflammation, my gut doesn't work, I have colitis and uh, rheumatoid arthritis," or, or, or and then you get up to the big boys, the ones that are absolutely the f- most feared. Doomsmen that haunt no. our graves. And that's, you know, dementia and cancers and heart disease. And well, it's those top 10.
0: Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised, to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed, their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance, Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small, family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but Wild Pasture meats are better for you nutritionally, and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today... For keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal and I hope you take advantage of it. So Make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy-tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below. Click the link. Enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. Are people more afraid of cancer or dementia?
1: Uh, Dementia, actually. Dementia, when you look at fear factors... That idea that they won't have their brain, and they yeah. should cancer at least, yeah.
0: They're Can't. both terrible, but they're yeah. both <laughs> terrible, right? The point that I want to make here is every everything you list that you're showing right here on the screen, these symptoms, these are not the actual problem. Uh, meaning, right. the conventional wisdom is okay. Let's treat the gas gastric reflux. Here's a, you know an antacid or whatever it is. Let's treat the PCS with a medication, but. These are not the actual problem. These are a result of the problem. And the problem is these high levels of glucose to your point, Dr. Boss.
1: Yeah. And when you look at how many of them are terms that I I said forever, well, well that's not fixable. Well, that's not fixable. And I have had to, uh, plenty of pieces of humble pie saying, well, by golly, it was. Mm. And it wasn't fast, but it had to begin with that average blood sugar being lower. And so the next question people usually ask me is, well, what do I want mine to be? Mm -hmm. So I like two studies that go through, well, this study is a really good one. It looks at um, just over 1,100 people, both males and females. And although they weren't from America, the 69 was the entrance age. So they're elder. Some of these studies on A1Cs are done in 40-year-olds. And you're like, well, that's no fair. I want to know what it is when they're elder. So they did this. And said, okay, um, here are the A1Cs. They put them into different groups. So the, the the lowest one was three seven to five two, then five three to five seven five, and then over seven. And then this this little bar here tells you how many people were in each arm. So good three hundred, you know, fifty plus in the first two, two hundred and almost three hundred in the third one. Not so many in the seven and above because that's what people fight back. Oh, that was such a small number in the seven and above. But sadly, all of these were statistically significant. It was such a striking difference in what happened. So they looked at all cause death, which is, wow. okay, when you're 69, you're going to, I mean, that's this age that dies a lot, right? So this is not a little bit of confidence. They were very confident in this outcome that the the death rate uh, when the A1C was between 3.7 and 5.2 was the lowest. It was slightly higher at the five, three to five, seven. It was twice as high in the sevens.
0: That's crazy. It
1: is. And you say, well, here's another way that they also looked at that data. They said, all right, at point zero, we're just going to check everybody's A1C. And then if we lose them to follow up, at least we're going to be able to say, how long did they live? So by the time they got to the eighth year, If that, and they, again, started at 69, eighth year, 40% of the ones with an A1C between that range were dead. Wow. When you got to the next group up, it was a little bit higher, right? Uh, When you got to the next one up, it was a little bit higher. But what's shocking is when they were seven, greater than seven, it just was
0: 80% were dead. Wow. (laughs) That's wild.
1: Yeah, and you say, well, that's pretty hard to look at. This is another way to just show this off, and it shows. Well, what's what is the lowest point where there? Because you look at people who say, oh yeah, if the if it's too low, it actually also predicts poor health, like malnourishment. Okay, so red blood cells are dying, and your A1C is really low. Yes, there's a malnourishment component to this, but if it's in the fours, especially around four point five, that would be my goal for me. Got it. Uh, now I'm not there.
0: <laughs> <Good> <laughs> moving, your,
1: moving your family at 50, it, it, it snuck away from me too. It's really easy because yeah. it's the little things every day that really screw you up, right? It's not the like I was good on Easter. No, I need to be good every day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But this was the this was the score that I, I think was most helpful when I explained this to David. And that's the score we look at to say, do you have dementia or are you getting close? So it's called a mini mental uh, status exam. And when you're 30, that's what everybody in this audience should be is 30. That's perfect. It's not that hard of a test. But if you start to lose points, again, these folks were 69 and older. By the time we put a 23 on your score, uh, we call it mild cognitive impairment. Mm -hmm. And when their A1Cs were in that lowest group, their median score was 26. It was 25 when it was on the next group. And when they got to seven, they had wow. mild cognitive impairment as a median. And so the last thing I like to show, because this sometimes many mental scores don't make very good, that doesn't help people. So these basic things called activities of daily living, like can you walk, can you eat, can you bathe? All right, so David said, I don't want my wife to take care of me. And I said, well, if you look at the two things we look at, one of them is basic needs and one of them is the advanced one. So they're called instrumental activities like doing the finances, taking the medicines, buying the groceries, cooking, cleaning. So there are two ways to measure this. So in our littlest group, most of the people, 57%, no problem. And then when you, again, they're 69 years and older. So these are old farts, right? My favorite people. (laughs) Those are my people. I'm an internist, right? So then when they started to have problems when their A1C got a little higher than it was uh, or um sorry this is all a1c's between 3.7 and 5.2. So when we took them to that second set of a1c's the percentages of those that could do it was less. You know I had more problems, right? You get up to the next group, now you're about at half. By the time they were seven only a third could do those activities before they started to show problems. Again, the orange is the finances and running your pills and stuff. But so then the super orange, the like more red orange, that's walking, that's eating. Look at how many of them couldn't do that. It's awful. It is. It's awful. So I look at this hemoglobin A1C as it's like the glue on the bottom of your shoe that predicts how you're going to age. And when you... Uh, miss that you're not delivering the oxygen to those parts of your body, then all the other stuff you're doing is almost in vain, that your risk of heart disease and cancer, and this is actually the data before COVID, still looking at how much of it was read, is to me the most important predictor of you have control of this but it's not controlling it at the last minute. You really do need to be checking this again and again and again. And it's where I point out, and I can um, probably best to just hop over to a chart that I think I went through what you have. You think many people have a continuous glucose monitor?
0: Uh, Either that or a keto mojo. I mean, I wouldn't say say the majority have a CGM, but the majority probably have a, a keto mojo. So
1: this is a very complicated chart, but I like, I'll i just uh, people take a screenshot of it because it, if you want, it's a, it's a good way to summarize things. To me, looking at your average blood sugar, the point of care is what Keto Mojo is. And I am really a big fan of it. I think people do not understand what their blood sugars are doing. Mm-hmm. The cost is pretty low and the feedback is right now. It's really great. Unfortunately, <laughs> people choose not to check it when they're doing badly
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they <don't>. and sometimes <laughs> ignorance is bliss huh I know
1: right And I want them to check it in the middle of the night while they're sleeping and as soon as they wake it up it actually changes your blood sugar. So I like yeah. the I like the dexcom six that that line in the middle where it says yes you do need a prescription yes it's it's strangely expensive but it checks your blood sugar, uh, one to two times a day? No, it's, it's it should be checking it every five minutes.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah sorry, that's, that's written right. wrong.
1: Whereas the Libre, a continuous glucose monitor, it's just every time you wave it over your device, your yeah, when you your, scan your phone. It. It. Yeah, it's a blue screen. Yeah. So I love the accuracy. They both are really good, but I like how patients can see. Yes, when you sleep terribly, it is absolutely going to affect things. But where I've begun. To push my patients is, yes, I can write you a prescription to get your A1C checked. Your insurance is only going to check it every 90 days. And I will tell you that's not what our my team does. On our team, when we wanted three of us needed our A1Cs to get better, we checked it every month until it was better. Only a third of our red blood cells were trading over by that end of that month. But by golly, it was so motivating to know that everybody around me was checking their A1C. Uh, and the way they did it was the point of care tests that are the this thing here, where you can. Uh, I partnered with. I think you have interviewed. If you ever, ever interviewed Bill Harris for um, no, Omega, he's not. like the Omega Three Queen. queen no, I have not.
2: <laughs> Anyway,
1: guess. his his company is Omega Quant, and you can do a blood test that looks at in your red blood cells what fats make up the lining in the biphospholipid layer of your red blood cells. It is one of the coolest tests ever, but so you he does that. Little,
0: you can see if there's excess linoleic acid in there?
1: Yes. You can actually see if there's trans fats Interesting. and you do it from a drip of your blood. It is the coolest test.
0: Quant. So I've quant heard fat? Is that what you said?
1: Omega quant. But if you go to omega if you go to my, the Dr. Ba's page and you go to my favorites, uh, you'll find a link there. And it's one of those uh, things where I want his business to succeed. I want he he is inventing some really cool things. So they did Omega Quant first, which is looking at omega sixes and omega threes that are in your circulation. We know that the omega three number needs to be high, but we don't have a way to measure that that was accurate until he invented this. Look at the red blood cells, they, and it will tell you for the last hundred days, just like an A one C. Are your red blood cells made up of any trans fats? That should be zero, people. That Those seed oils should be zero. Yeah. And if it is, you should be checking it to make it better. And you shouldn't have to wait that your doctor does it. Uh, it's a blood test you can do at home. Now, there are doctors that order it, but uh, they order it from Omega Quant. And Omega Quant runs the test. <laughs> um, so I, put, uh, I co-branded the one for A1C with him uh, and just said, people need to know about this. I think the best care for patients is the one that they are involved with, that they are able to see uh, what their tests are. And they can, like, (laughs) I had somebody give Easter gifts away. He has one that checks vitamin D, one that checks omega quant, or the omega-6 and omega-3s, and he has one that checks hemoglobin A1C. And I just think it's a great company that is really innovating and it deserves to have the recognition inside the medical community but also to keep his company going you know the innovators today don't necessarily make the best business partners because of <laughs> standing against all of that that's
0: true and by the way dr boz's website is boz bozmd.com i see it here on your favorites i have a question regarding that test the mm-hmm. the mega quant. does it distinguish between oxidized omega-6, meaning the ones that are adulterated versus unadulterated? Because not all omega-6 is bad, right? But it's right. really the oxidized version. Does it distinguish between the ones that are oxidized and the ones that are not?
1: So I know he would be able to answer that question way better than I would. Um, <laughs> I could
0: so ask him, yeah.
1: You want to hear this, the craziest part? is I first heard about his test. Who's the engineer who is super good about telling st- uh, these stories of God, he's at every keto thing. He's from Australia.
0: Oh, yeah. Mar- Marty Kendall, I think.
1: Nope. It's so, it, oh, it's so close. my tongue. Anyway, so he was interviewing Bill Harris about this really cool test. And then I heard him on Peter Atiyah, and I'm like, okay, yes, this is a really cool test. And I'm like, gosh, Bill Harris, Bill Harris. He was on the staff for the med school at University of South Dakota, living in Sioux Falls, a wow. mile and a half from me the whole time.
2: That's cool. <laughs>
1: I'm like, I'm driving over there. <laughs> so yes, innovative, really, really great little company that is just trying to be in the space of people should own the the purpose and the drive to improve their health. And when you when you give that to your doctor... What I think is sad is we have to get permission from from your insurance to do most of what we are going to do.
0: That is sad. It's stupid and it's yeah. it's broken. Uh, so yeah, you're making the case that we should all get our A1C done and you could do it convenient yeah. at, at your home, uh, mm-hmm. at your own house. So BozMD.com, you have the A1C kits, you have the Quant. How often should they do the A1C?
1: Well, when mine came back at you know, it used to be in the fours, right? And I was like, "Ah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine." And then I moved my family. (laughs) And I didn't look at me for like a year. And it came back like at, I don't know, 5.5 or 5.4 or 5.6, something. It was terrible. I was like, oh my goodness, look how high it went. And so I did a contest with my couple others that were trying to improve theirs. And I said, I would do it every month. I mean, you look at the psychology of change. And if you only check the something every three to six months, the feedback loop is too long. The behavior change just wilts down. But when you know that you're checking it in three weeks now, it's two weeks now, it's one week now, it's next week, and it measures in the rear three months, that you have to make a good enough change in that month to make a difference, well, it was very motivating. Mine was down to 5.1 in three months.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. that's There you go. That'll kickstart it. <laughs> so was that the last time you tested, 5.1?
1: Yeah, it was. And I think that was in November. Uh no, no, no. I did it again in January and it was down... It's either again 5.1 or 5.0. It was not bad. I mean, it wasn't my fours that I had a few years ago, but it was definitely better.
0: It's on its way there though.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, I am nothing if uh, not methodical until you add a whole bunch of stress to my life. And then I did it really well for f- several months. And now I'm like, oh yeah, we need to all do this again.
0: Yeah. It's a great idea. So yeah. everybody go to B, go check those out. So uh, morning glucose, we know that there was a dawn effect, and Dr. Funk spoke about it yesterday. But what if those morning glucose levels are higher than the typical dawn effects? What are there any things we can do short term to see better numbers in the morning?
1: Mm, you know, that, that's a very good question, and I get this a lot. The I'm number sure. one, yeah, most important thing. I mean, so there's steps. Uh, you know, you got to look at where the patient is at. So if you take David, the first thing David had no clue about was how processed his foods were. you know That particle size of food is something that I I try to teach early on, that we live in a time where processed is easy and it, it's on a shelf for a long time and it's what is most available to us. But the less processed we get, the better. So that was step one for him. And that did lower his morning sugars a little bit, but it didn't take long for him to say, why won't it go down? Why won't it go down? And I'm like, well, you see, you're still having a Twelve-hour eating window that is way too long, and so then the first thing he takes away is the morning one because he says, "Well, I'm not hungry." I'm like, "Well, I know you're not hungry because your sugars go up and you've got plenty of sugar floating around because it's all in your liver and in your muscles, and that's a fine time to eat a bunch of high fat with protein, maybe a box of uh, a can of sardines.
0: Oh, <laughs> your favorite.
1: <laughs> but the worst thing you can do is still eat at seven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. eating late in night, your body's ability to process sugars or any kind of food is broken.
2: Yeah. And when
1: you when you look at some of the data that says, even when they only ate fat and they were healthy, not my insulin resistant people, their sugars were high for two to four hours and their insulin was still high even when it was the processed fat. Now it was not nearly as high when they ate only processed fat. So that's like powdered fat, whatever you want to call that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: versus powdered carbs, like powdered sugar, whatever, right? Like particleized sugar, woof, that really sends it up. And then their insulin and sugar are both high for like six out, four to six hours. Uh, when they do particleized protein, these are healthy people, not broken people, healthy still four hours of high insulin. So you know, like
0: the- uh, protein powder is what you're saying? Yeah. Gay protein, collagen protein, etc.
1: Mm-hmm. And so then you say, well, okay, so the powdered fat's better, but still not the best thing for you to be doing if you're trying to reverse the problem because you're just stimulating what your body is overproducing. So once I get them eating you know, 20 total carbohydrates, <laughs> not 20 net carbs, 20 total.
0: Yeah. That's an important point. Let's talk about that real quick. So um, a few years ago, maybe three years ago, I was all about net carbs. It gives you more flexibility. And of course, you know, I learned that that's not really helping. So, net carbs, a lot of keto companies and keto educators get away with teaching you net carbs, but let's keep things transparent and don't focus on the net carbs, Dr. Boz's point. Focus on your total carbs. And you said 20 or less. Is that for somebody who is metabolically challenged or is that also for somebody who's metabolically healthy?
1: Well, when I am looking at most people coming onto the ketogenic diet, I guess the healthy ones never get to me because <laughs> they're all not very healthy.
2: That makes sense, um,
1: yeah. And they've not been doing this processed high insulin thing for a week or two. They've been doing it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, they're in their 30s. And if we would have, you know, you go look at, you know, autopsy evaluations from 15-year-olds and they have fatty streaks in their arteries at 15 in 2023. I mean, this is a process that's early in folks and, you know, area under the curve of impact is a big part of predicting disease. If I do my job right, it's, you know, one of these thankless things that it just shouldn't show up in your life, right? Well, (laughs) unfortunately, that means you got to start before it's got a major problem. So when I look at people that get to my, I mean, there's plenty of baby keto out there. I mean, a little bit of keto and if it helps them, great, but I've probably not been very long in the disease process. Good for you. Way to start sooner. But most of the people that I see have been doing this so long that what they don't realize is their C-reactor protein is too high. Their slime layer lining every artery in their body is weakened. Their heart disease has already begun. Their dementia has already got a footprint. And they're 40, they're 45. And to predict that they want the health outcomes, I just think, do not mince words. If you're under my care and you're trying to get better and we're really trying to prevent, get the garbs down to 20 total. And what you quickly learn is, first of all, your gut's a lot healthier. <laughs> it's a lot happier. Uh, it doesn't take as much of the beating that I think a lot of processed uh, or even just high fiber diets have really done over the years. It isn't that they can't ever do fiber again. It's that they feel so good when they, when they, that's not flaring that I often say they don't want to do it anymore. And it, I continue to do the 20 total uh, in my yeah. life, in my patients. And I want them to graduate from my care. (laughs) I want them to not be addicted to me, which means you need the tools to survive in the future. So when they know what 20 total carbs are, sure, there's going to be seasons where they just don't follow it. But when they're ready to buckle down and they want the outcomes, 20 total carbs.
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh, We're going to get to VIP Q&A in about five minutes. I have two more questions. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between somebody who's getting fat adapted how long that, does that take on average, this fat adaptation process versus more of a keto adaptation? What's the difference between the two and how long does each take on average?
1: Mm, that's great. So, let me make sure I answered the first question about morning fasting sugars that the way that's fixed is the removal of the last meal in the day, that the hours between last bite and when your cortisol gets pinged by your pituitary gland, that, I mean, you can't fix the timing of the pituitary ping. The, the cortisol rise. <laughs> That's yeah. going to happen every morning from the sun. You can't, you're can't. you not in control of that. You are in control of the last bite that you eat the day before.
0: Your last bite should go earlier on in the day. Uh, push it mm-hmm. down. So you're saying, if somebody's in the habit of having skipping breakfast, having lunch and dinner, they might be better off having breakfast and lunch and skipping dinner.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I say, is your food going in in daylight? Let's start there. And then- we. Becky loves we- that.
0: Coach Becky loves that. She's on our team and she loves the circadian talk. <laughs>
1: yeah it's it's just real uh, and they have done it abnormally for so long that they feel like it's culturally not right, so I think w- when I'm looking at uh, fat adaption versus keto adaption, you know when people first come into the ketogenic diet, I have no rules except counting carbs. I want them eating as much fat as they can i don't want I don't want them paying attention to time I don't want them paying attention to anything
2: Calories. It's-
1: no calories, do not look, don't look. You really just need to get used to eating this and finding what your palate likes. I mean that loving you a little bit during this? Because <laughs> people come in with this, I'm going to be so disciplined and I'm going to be so hard on myself. And that that doesn't play out well. That's a crabby you and a crabby you to your people you love usually. And so saying, no, no, find what you love and let's eat that. And let's get you right good with that because what's going to happen over, and I'll tell you the more insulin resistant they are, the more this varies, but I give them three to four weeks of just, just keep going. And on my continuum, you know, I tell them 20 total carbs, don't look up, don't look at the next thing. Don't go for fast forwarding for heaven's sakes, don't start fasting, just 20 total carbs. Because what I'm really looking for is a surge in cholecystokinin, in peptide YY, in your leptin gets more efficient, uh, that your ghrelin is suppressed, that your satiety, your cholecystokinin is the kind of things that are built from fat that regulate satiety, which is a brain thing. And that's an endocrine fat thing. It doesn't get fixed in a day. It has to build up. It depends on what you did yesterday. If you only do this, you know, I do good on Monday and Tuesdays, then I have a cheat day. I'll quit doing that. You you need consistent change of what's going on inside your endocrine system, day in, day out, day in, day out. And then one day this magical thing will happen that you're hopefully doing something in life you love and you accidentally miss a meal. Something you totally thought only crazy people miss meals.
0: And you felt great.
1: And you didn't notice. Yeah. Yes. That's what it feels like to be fat adapted.
0: And then to your point, you talk about cholecystokinin, peptide YY, leptin, etc. You're not necessarily testing, you're giving, mm-hmm. you're getting signs, and that's a sign right there. You skip a meal, you didn't notice, you feel good. <clears throat> it's a sign you're getting those produced.
1: Yeah, that's a waste of people's money to try and measure those things, even yeah, no. in research yeah. studies.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> those are all satiety hormones and chemicals that tell your brain, for those who don't know, tell your brain and your stomach, you know, you're full, put down the fork, no need to go to your pantry, no need to, you know, binge eat. And the, that doesn't happen overnight. And to Dr. <laughs> Boggs' point, the more disciplined you are in the beginning, the faster you'll get there. And then eventually you'll have maybe more flexibility in the future. But in the beginning, we got to be really disciplined because it's years and years of um, the opposite of that.
1: Right. You know, I, I do the, the sardine challenge uh, in yeah. my 21 days where I take and lead people through the most intense ketogenic 21 days that I would do in a, in a cancer a patient and somebody who's like, you don't have to do this for a lifetime, but if you want the rules about how this looks in a very intense level, and one of the challenges is this 72 hours of only sardines. And I think it's a great little pocket lesson for saying, if you want to see how good those hormones are in you, the sardine challenge starts with the first bite of sardines, and on the seventy-second hour, you need to on the on the thir- final hour, you need to eat the last can of sardines. And then there's no eating windows, no limits. Have as much as you want whenever you get hungry. Three o'clock in the morning, I don't care. But all you get is sardines and oil. And what happens is the first day, if they're if their cholecystokinin and the rest of their body has just not been metabolically challenged recently, they'll say, "Oh my gosh, I burped them up. I don't feel good. Uh, I had diarrhea," and, and they'll chirpy chirpy. And I said, keep going because when your body makes these hormones, it will take a signal from what it has done recently. So mm-hmm. the cholecystokinin you eat uh, today will be signaled in your parotid glands and when you masticate, when you chew, and that signal is missing when you have either been fasting too much or you've been eating a lot of particleized food without a high fat content. No better way to fix that than to chew on some sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and and what will happen is the first day you probably won't make enough of that bile, which is uh, cholesterol uh, coming out of your gallbladder and out of your liver. And even if you don't have a gallbladder, your liver needs to squirt it out so it can emulsify and absorb that nutrient. And if you if you make a wimpy amount the first day, guess what? you burp up sardines and it tastes terrible. Yeah. The second day it's better. And the third day it's better. And the ketone to glucose ratio, which is where keto adaption comes in, mm. is brilliant by the third day.
2: Mm.
1: Now I try never to do that to folks until they're fat adapted. Yeah. Uh, in my 21 day, I really want to give them the experience in 21 days. So I, I pushed a little bit, but honest to goodness, it turns out, they get, we check everybody's numbers and when we have the, the collective data, it's fascinating. The best ketone numbers of the whole thing are on the, the day after the sardine challenge. Their wow. ketones are high. like I'm talking three to fours as a group. And their, their glucoses are down by, I mean, 15, 20. There's a couple of 30 points down
2: wow.
1: in three days of just saying, quit eating particleized food just eat something that's high fat and moderate protein. And then there's nothing like portion control when you're talking sardines. <laughs>
0: it's so true. I would rather personally do a three-day water fast than a three-day sardine fast only because I don't like the taste. However, I 100% agree with you. There's there's Sardines are very healthy for you. You get that process of mastication and all. I, I agree. But for me... The hardest part would not be the fasting part. It would be eating the sardine part for myself. oh,
1: We have several people say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm like, well, what I want you to see is that if you want, you know, when, when people say, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I can't lose weight, I'm like, I need your liver to have a workout. Mm-hmm. I need the production of ketones. And I can shove, you know, 30 pills of MCT down you for the next six days while you're doing a water fast to try and get you this. And that, That helps, but the mastication really
0: helps. This is something that evolution. Yeah.
1: So when they're stuck on a weight loss journey, I just say, Don't fight me, just do this. And the smell is worse than the taste. Tuna is more sour or tangy than sardines, but sardines get for the worst smell. So almost always once they taste it, they're like, Oh, it's not as bad as you
0: I thought it'd be. Yeah. And tuna is typically loaded with, uh, with uh, mercury as well. So sardines don't have that issue. The smaller the fish, the, the less toxins. Remember that. Sardines Amen. are very small, tuna is big. Mm-hmm. A couple of takeaways from that is number one, as you get fat adapted, you might consider doing this three day sardine fast. Or another way to look at it is let's say you've been doing keto for three months and you had results in the beginning, but you've kind of like plateaued, you're stuck you might kickstart things with throwing in a three-day sardine fast. So it's a great way to mix things up. And look at those glucose and ketone numbers, of course. Get your A1C tested, of course. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. Hey, Keto Camper. What if there was an easy way to help detoxify your body, ease stress, unwind, and hey, even burn more calories? What I'm talking about is sauna usage. Now, there's a lot of studies that show the benefits of using a sauna. And it could be kind of complicated because they're expensive and typically you have to go to a facility to use a sauna. What I love about my sauna is that it's a blanket that I use at the comfort of my own home. I use the one from Bond Charge. And sauna blankets work by raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise so you burn calories while you're relaxing. And you could burn up to 600 calories in one session. Sweating also helps flush out toxins like heavy metals, from your body and elevating your heart rate while relaxing releases endorphins, which can leave you feeling euphoric. I feel like I just got a 60-minute massage when I get out of this thing. It works by using infrared light, which heats the body directly rather than the air around you like a traditional sauna. This means you get the same benefits at a lower heat. You also don't need to have your head in the heat like a traditional sauna. It's very easy to use. You can enjoy a session of 30 to 45 minutes while relaxing, reading, watching TV, or meditating. It's easy to clean. It's low EMF, especially compared to other brands out there. Simple and easy to get set up. And even more important, you, Keto Camper, are offered a nice coupon code for Bond Charge's products, including their infrared sauna blanket. So head over to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code Keto camp at checkout to get 15% off your order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code in the podcast notes. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. Here is Katie in New York. Hey, Katie. Hi,
3: good afternoon. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, nice to meet both of you. Um, just a real quick question. I know you mentioned Peter, Dr. Peter Tia earlier. I was watching one of his podcasts and he was sharing about these new, well, not new, they've been around the GLP 1 medications. And he was indicating, like, for weight loss, that he finds something very viable for some of his patients. Um, so I was just wondering, like, your thoughts on that because from what I'm seeing in the news, there, there should be, like, a new one coming out in the Maybe over the summer, just a proof of weight loss, not for diabetes.
1: Just was wondering, you know, your feelings on them. Yeah, great question.
0: Yeah, great question, Katie. Katie's a Keto Camp Academy student too. I'm glad she got on here. So go ahead. Sorry, Dr. Boss.
1: Nope, that's an awesome, uh, very popular question. Recently, we did a couple of uh, my live shows on this too because we had so many questions come in. Yeah, yeah. So Ozempic is the most popular one that's in. Uh,
0: semiglutide, ozempic, et cetera. Yeah.
1: When you look at what they're doing. It's a very advanced endocrine le- lesson on how this analog uh, in our body stimulates what insulin is doing and what food processes are being done. Again, the feedback loop for what these meds are playing off of is to try and simulate Satiety or feeling full. So it really slows the gastric emptying uh, as well as it does stimulate the production of insulin. So that is the part that gets the funny looking faces, like the Ozempic face. What's that all about? Uh, It is that they are losing a ton of weight. And when people say, Doc, I want that drug because I want to lose weight, like, okay, um, what kind of weight do you want to lose? And of course, they're going to say, Well, the fat, of course. And the fat is very much under the dictatorship of insulin. And when you look at the body scans for people on Ozempic or these GLP 1 analogs, the ratio of anybody losing as much weight as they've lost, they're going to lose fat and protein. Everybody, that's normal. But it is an incredible uh, shift of how much muscle mass, how much protein loss they are Not doing. Good. Relative to the fat loss. And it is simply because they are constantly stimulating the production of insulin. So it is the same reason why an insulin resistant patient has. So you go to the study that was in, that could never be done today. We would all be sent to jail for inhumane requests. Uh, you know, no IRB would approve this, where they locked in Minnesota, they locked them in a hospital for 30 days. They were obese and they had water and salt only. And so, as you watched over time, how long a high insulin producing person took to actually get ketone production and the glucose down. I mean, it was three weeks into not eating before you really got that shift. You never, and I mean never, at the end of the five weeks, they didn't have the the raising growth hormone. I mean, the growth hormone at the end of what was happening in the insulin resistant patients was the same as what the growth hormone was at the beginning for Mm. healthy patients. So they never got the euphoria, the feel good that should come with fasting because all of their endocrine, they were not fat adapted and they certainly weren't keto adapted. Keto adapted by definition means the insulin has dropped from yesterday and it is allowing the opening of fat cells. Mm -hmm. The reason we can't say, well, let me measure your insulin is because what does insulin do to your cells? And that is relative to what they did yesterday. So it is this process that the two things that insulin controls is a much better way to measure what's going on in the patient. And that is why the GKI or the Dr. boss ratio of measuring glucose at the same time of ketones is a better look at what is the function of insulin in your body. And when that number gets flatlined, you need to stimulate the mitochondria. What these drugs don't do, they do not stimulate the function of the mitochondria in a way that promotes fat loss over muscle loss. And many of the people that are taking this are in your 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, they're, they're elders, right? And they all want the weight off. They know it's such a bit bad predictor. They really do want the weight off. But the, there's not a drug out there that can help me get the muscle mass back on unless we fix the insulin. So Peter Atio, when you get into his what what he's really doing with his patients, or at least this is what some of his patients tell me, is that they'll have like a week of Ozempic, and then go back to this, and then they say, "I'm going to be under a really high um, temptation sign." So I mean, it's a shot that you give yourself; it's what it will last a week, and so they don't take it every week because that is really pounding on that insulin every week. And it shifts. That that's why they look funny. They're they're taking out muscle mass from their cheeks and their chin and their face. That's why they look funny. And if you want to stop that, then you have to be stimulating the mitochondria. You really have to be using a the chemistry behind fat loss, not muscle and fat loss.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a nuanced answer, but it is um, there. Are, <laughs> nobody likes to hear that. So I actually haven't even talked that in detail about it on my channel except for that one live where I, yeah, nobody wants to hear that there's anything wrong with it. They want, it's a magic, it's beautiful. It it helps them lose weight. And I'm sure it does help them lose weight. You you know, the question I put at the beginning of that live was would I prescribe it? And as I'm preparing the notes the whole time for the live, I kept thinking, it's so easy to say, no, I'm a purist, I would never prescribe it. But these people have suffered a lot and the weight loss is important. So I don't know, it's it's a tough call. In my practice, I don't prescribe it, but it doesn't mean that I wouldn't.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great, a great answer, great explanation. And there, are, you know, I don't prescribe meds, of course, but there are better ways, I believe, to go about it, especially if you're young like you are, Katie. So, yeah, uh, great explanation. I didn't know that Peter Atia was using it, and he's he's using it cyclically. It sounds like he's doing it that way. But okay, next question, um, Cindy. I'm going to bring you on here. Okay, here is Cindy. Hi, Cindy.
1: Hi. Two real quick questions. One, can you have herring instead of hard uh, sardines? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Number two, I have Hashimoto's. How do I get rid of that?
0: Hmm? Okay, there you go. Hashimoto—that's <laughs> that's a handful. So go ahead.
1: Yeah. Right. So uh, so let's just go back to. Uh, I think it's called, it's uh, an acronym of SMASH. And the place I get this is the uh, Ben Harris, where it's, he, he just talked about it. That's where I read it first. It's probably out there in other places where it's um, sardines, Sardines, mackerel, anchovies, I'll
0: look salmon,
1: it up. and herring.
0: Is that right? Let's see.
1: SMASH. Anyway, those are the fish that have the best uh, medium chain triglycerides, uh, the best omega 3 ratios, and so use any of those you want.
0: Yep. Sam- salmon, mackerels, anchovies, sardines, and herring. You nailed it. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: So when you look at the autoimmune disorders, that is the uh, really what she's asking. So Hashimoto's is a place where your immune system is accidentally attacking itself. Okay. The message that says, kill enemy, protect self. That's what your T-cells are supposed to do inside your body. And when they get all wrinkled and crooked due to inflammation inside your bone marrow, inside your lymph cells, they accidentally make a mistake. And if one of the mistakes is that they are looking at the thyroid and saying, this is not Cindy, this is not Cindy, attack, attack. It's not Cindy. I mean, it's an error, but that error is continuing to attack. What I like to point out is if you have one autoimmune disorder, you probably have others that are brewing that are asymptomatic yet. They're on the rise. One leads to two, leads to three, and they are, they're they stacked. And it's not because it's inherited. It's because the error that's happening is in that sequence of making the antibodies that now turn off the... Is it self or not self? And that's the mistake that keeps happening. So then it's the vitiligo or it's a rheumatic heart disease or it's rheumatoid, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. <clears throat> so you say, how do you get rid of it? So it's the long game, okay? You didn't make this error yesterday. You made this error from 30 years of elevated insulin. So you got to give me at least a decade before you give up and say, oh, it's never going to get better. Your white blood cells are the fastest to turn over. I will contend that you don't want to play around with keto. If you're trying to reverse autoimmune disorders, Sophia Clemens is one of my favorite. Um, she's an out-of-the-country Bulgarian uh, PhD that does this awesome autoimmune test for, she uses the right word, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, or but people call it leaky gut, where the gut is letting things in and out when it shouldn't. And it is an autoimmune process. And it is the first time I ever saw what she was doing. I'm like, that is brilliant. We can't do it in America. (laughs) I've tried and it's insanely expensive, but her cost is different in Bulgaria. And what she looks at is you don't have just a little bit of clean diet. You have a paleolithic ketogenic diet, a PKD. And essentially this is 20 total carbohydrates or less No playing around. You need to have yourself a support group because guess what? It's hard. You're going to do great for Easter. But then on the day after Easter, you're like, guess what? Nobody's looking. I'm going to have that chocolate egg. The people's behaviors will haunt them. And the only way out is the same way out of an addiction process, which is you need a tribe of people that are trained with you. And then you need accountability that isn't just, yeah, I did okay because you'll lie. How do I know? I've been at this a while. But when you prick your finger and you are, your meter is connected to another person's meter, and this is a brilliant addition to what Keto Mojo has offered this community, is a free platform that says you buy their meters, you buy their strips, and we, you can be connected to your support system and have a dashboard that shows you everybody else's. We do this in my my 21 day. Everybody's numbers are up on the screen. I get to see everybody's But most importantly, your support group gets to see what is your morning fasting glucose? What is your morning fasting ketones? And when you stop checking, guess what? We're going to think you're cheating. Mm. You're human, okay? And I'm not scolding you. I'm saying these are human behaviors that are so predictable. And when patients want the chronic, you know, the the horsemen the ones that kill you yes autoimmune is a chronic disease it will attack your brain and we call it ms it attacks your bowel we call it crohn's disease when it attacks your thyroid we call it hashimotos to reverse it i need the white blood cells to be replicating in a pool that is not filled with swamp the goo the inflammation that means the glucose in the morning should be 60 the ketones in the morning should be 1 or above that's how you fix an autoimmune disorder That is not easy. And especially when you start and you come to the table and you're uh, insulin resistant, what I see them do is okay, I did 20 total carbs or less for two days. Now I'm going to fast. And they crash Mm -hmm. because none of those fat based hormones are ready for that.
0: Yeah, too much. The body's not going to adapt to that. That's a fantastic answer. You know, the beautiful thing of what you just said is that you can reverse autoimmune conditions, Hashimoto's being one of them. And that's different than what mainstream wisdom might tell you. Sarah, do you want to come on here and ask Dr. I mean, sorry. um, Yeah, Sarah, and then Mickey, and then Buzzy. So Sarah, you want to come on here? Hello, Sarah. Hi,
1: I'm 73. Okay, you mentioned being in a support group. What are other things people do to maintain staying with keto over time? Mm. oh that's beautiful mm, First yeah. of all, Sarah, you look
0: beautiful beautiful she does, right like mm-hmm. yes but
1: <laughs> yes so I'll tell you um that is something that i I'm a woman of faith and I believe God called me to be doing some of this, uh, this keto stuff uh, and I think the place he taught me how to do this was that I ran an addiction clinic in internal medicine healing addicted brains for the 12 years before I flipped to keto. And it's the same thing. The addiction, of course, is legal. You get it at your grocery store and your friends will love you with it and call it something, uh, you know, lovely. Uh, So in my whole platform of what I, you know, that first day that the woman said, why won't you become my patient? I'm like, because nobody will pay me to do it. And I have 300 of you in the last week that asked the same question. And I think people don't change behavior very fast when they're isolated. They change behavior when they're vulnerable and in relation with other people. Yeah. So twice a year, I do something that is called the 21 day metabolic kick. We have people come in. I run the show for 12 to 15 classrooms where a lay person, not a nurse, not a coach, they're a coach, but they're by default saying, no, they're just like you, they want to know how to do this and they want somebody else on their team. And what we hope to do in that class is we hope to spin out support groups that stick you've all been trained by somebody who knows what they're doing. We have you all connected through that Mojo app, which data is critical. When I look at people who are able to do the long game, it's the same predictors where the alcoholic is still sober at five years. And that had to do with the pillars of life that they have purpose in their life. Uh, that they have their faith and they are able to practice their faith and feel connected to others, whether it's the same faith or not. It is that you feel connected with that that drive, and that their health is improving. Uh, you know, one of the hardest parts about the story of my mom was, I'm really good at what I do. I'm not being boastful or arrogant. I, I'm like I, I'm a little bit of a nerd, and of course, my mother, I was great, but she was awful. She did everything that I'd asked her to do. And the reason she was no longer willing to do what I was asking her to do is because it wasn't working. She wasn't feeling good. And I think that's the most powerful part that I see in a ketogenic group is you need to have, you're all going to be on a different rhythm in life. And so I, you know, I look for a minimum of five in a support group. Uh, It's, it's what's sustainable. You can get up to 12, but if you get more than 15, you got to split the group. You're not going to stay sustainable. Five, five to 12. And when I I look that you have to meet every week, Um, even when you go to every other week, it's the beginning of the end. In the 21 day, we meet every day for 21 days, every weekday, Monday through Friday. We begin by practicing the rules. We don't let you take booze to an AA meeting and we don't do food at a keto meeting. Um, We have specific check-ins that are meant for you to be vulnerable. That when we look at some of the other rules that we we teach in a keto support group or in a group, it is that they have, you can use the, the stories from your support group to teach others, but not the identities. Uh, that it's a safe place to say, I just ate chocolate cake and I hid it from my husband. You know, that uh, you need to find that space. Yeah. So I know that you said, what can I do besides a support group? So support group is so foundational that, that, that you do that. That I I kind of co opt your question and said, be sure you do that first. Be sure mm-hmm. you do that first. I'll tell you the other thing is when I've looked at how people get back on the wagon, uh, I've really had a, I mean, boy, Dom DiAgostino and his team have really helped infuse good evidence based data into what should I be telling patients and what's the truth. And at first I was, you know, not gonna let, you know, you can make a ketone, don't worry about it. And it's just like anything else in life. It's not that supplements are the answer for everything, but they the, the amount of time your mitochondria go without seeing uh, ketone, it, it, especially in those who've had chronic diseases. Uh, those you know, seventy three trips around the sun that you've done. You've had years of chronic disease. So when they do well for a while, but then your dog dies, and then your husband gets sick, and then your job, you know, say when life changes and stress gets too high and they can't seem to find their way back, just get the ketones on board. Don't forget to keep ketones in circulation because the transition back is so much faster when they have not been in absence of ketones.
0: Okay, great. Mickey, you ready to come on here? Okay, let's bring on Mickey. Ask the question. Hello, Mickey. Hi.
2: Uh, Real quick, um, I have uh, glucose. Last time it was measured was 91. How do you convert that into the percentage?
1: Hmm. So you don't you need more than one, one glucose. So <laughs> so if you go back that screenshot that I showed you, you need to be checking your glucose about 250 times a day. <laughs> and then we need to take the average of that to get your average blood sugar. It's why I think that uh, test is so powerful. Again, it's $40. It's really economical. The and
0: A1C test for those. The
1: A1C test. Yeah. Saying what I'm trying to show you to check is what has the average been for the last three months. And so when you look at the A1C, uh, then you can do the calculation for what has the average blood sugar been. Mm -hmm. When I look at folks, I always want their morning fasting to be less than 100. But when I am judging myself, I want my fasting blood sugar to be around 65 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a sign that I didn't have a late night stack or I didn't didn't skip my workout or I I did go to the sauna, (laughs) all the things that I'm not always perfect at either. So you can't use one number to predict the A1C. It takes multiple data points to do that. The reverse is easier. Go get a hemoglobin A1C and you can predict the average blood sugar based on that one data point.
0: Yeah, great. And 91 is awesome, you know. Uh, good yeah. job, good job testing. But yeah, A1C would be the the, the king right there to get the results. So all right, Buzzy, you want to come on here? We we finally got you here. Okay, let's bring on Buzzy. Hello, Buzzy.
3: Hello. How is everybody? Hi, Dr. Boss. Um, I am new to you or you are new to me, however that works. But I really appreciate uh, everything that you are teaching and you've taught today. And uh, the story about your mom's journey really touched my heart. My Mm -hmm. question is, I was a diabetic for 10 years or more. I was very insulin dependent Metformin, Ozempic, blah, 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 blah.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: um, I joined TFM. I started fasting and I did a LCHF diet and I lost 85 pounds and I was off. Eventually I got off insulin in three months and then Metformin and then finally Ozempic. My question is, as uh, so my doctor says that I've reversed diabetes, but I've heard that. That doesn't happen when you're, it's kind of like if you're a smoker, you're always a smoker kind of thing. It's something that you're susceptible to. So my question is for someone like me who is susceptible to diabetes and all its complications, is it realistic to keep my blood sugar level or, cause I've been told that the way to do it is to keep my blood sugar level. What I'm what's your trying, now? It's not possible. Because every time I eat a little meal, it, it goes up. And then two hours later or less, it will come down. But that's not level to me. So what, what is the magic here?
1: What's your A1C right now? Uh,
3: it's uh, 4.8.
1: New win. Oh, that's really good. So <laughs> that is really good. So when your A1C and your uric acid are in the fours, you, that's a winner. Uh, so the next thing I would be asking is the, the uric acid. But you, you're asking a question that I think is only possible. Okay. So, and this is looking at, I don't know if I say thousands of glucose charts, thousands, I can say thousands of glucose charts, meaning they are wearing a continuous glucose monitor. I get to watch their glucoses from across the world. I get to look at their glucoses through their keto mojo on a chart. And you're right. That doesn't, it's not level until I do a couple of things. And that is that I push them to a paleolithic ketogenic diet. Um, I also, in order for them to have a flat glucose level, which means it'll raise about 20 to 30 points after they eat. And then, I mean, maybe not even 15 points after they eat, and then it'll settle back down. It is an incredibly high fat diet with a very low volume of food, like 500 grams of food per day. It is incredibly restrictive. So, what they're asking you to do is a little bit of superpowers. What I would be focused on with you is I would look at the other health metrics. So, you got A1C corrected. Congratulations. The weight is off. You win. That's a huge, huge, huge accomplishment. Now, make sure your uric acid is low as well. And I talk about that on my show. I do that. I talk about that in my books a couple. Uh, the other thing that I'm given a. Are you going to KetoCon, Ben?
0: Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there with you. We'll be at the KetoCon, and my
1: lecture is sizing up cholesterol, really reviewing the particles of cholesterol and how they impact people. So there are some advanced tests that I would tell you to get to say, look at those numbers and really use that as a way to judge your health, not how level you're your blood sugars are. Yeah. And the other thing they're really trying to do is they're really trying to push your eating window down to a few hours a day. I still think that's a wise idea for somebody who's had insulin resistance that long. And uh, the things I've already said, which is stick with, with uh, whole foods, like the can of sardines, not the po- powdered protein.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Dr. Boz, such a great session. Uh, where is the best place for the everybody watching to go check you out?
1: Yeah. So my favorite is YouTube. My channel there is where I put most of my energy. My website is bozmd.com and that's where I live.
0: We're going to put that in the live stream chat. If you're not subscribed to Dr. Boz's YouTube channel, it is an incredible YouTube channel. She does a live show every Tuesday. She's got videos throughout the week and her website's bozmd. And uh, if you're at KetoCon next week, go up to her, say, I saw you on the Keto Challenge and give her a big hug and go watch her presentation. Dr. Boz, I can't wait to see you next week. And give you a hug. Thank you for serving you. us today. I appreciate you, and uh, we're just so grateful for you. Thank you so well, much.
1: I, I want to. I just want to say a, a words of endorsement. There's lots of folks out there teaching keto, and it isn't something that I planned on doing with my medical career. And if I could have found a whole bunch of Ben Azadis, I wouldn't have had to do it as intensely as I've had. You do a great job of teaching. It's always a wonderful place to see that when patients have been to Ben, I know their questions are going to be advanced because you've gotten an, <laughs> an amazing foundation. So Thank good you, job Dr.
0: in your work. I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Boz. Hey, go subscribe to her YouTube channel. She's got an amazing YouTube channel. and She does a show every, every Tuesday. Uh, we'll put her YouTube in the podcast notes down below. Go get her books. We'll put links for that down below as well. Again, if you want to watch the video format of today's interview with Dr. Boz and all of our interviews can be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash KetoCamp. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review. Please share this with somebody you know. I want to thank you for spending part of your day with us. I'll see you on the next episode.